Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a guy from Canada. I, I, I have Coach Phil Jilks. You're going to want to say Gilks, but it's not Gilks, it's Jilks. So I want to I wanna get this thing going here in just a minute, so stay with us. And we're back. I want to welcome Phil, Coach Phil. To the hey, show. Ken. Good Phil, morning. welcome. Thank you, Ken. Good, good morning, you, man. Back at you. I, I I appreciate you being here. So, um, you know, I started this show about two and a half years ago to help people have a breakthrough in life. I believe that um, a lot of people get stuck in their stuff, and I truly believe we we heal by hearing other people's stories. So um, that's what this is about. So why don't we start with where you were born and raised, Phil? Well, I would ask the audience to guess by my accent where I was from, but that would totally be not fair. Uh, I was originally, <laughs> originally born in England. Uh, several decades ago, uh, brought over to Canada. Uh, I think I originally was about two, two and a half. I certainly don't remember it. These are stories, backstories that mom and dad told me about. And um, then I spent most of my time, well, actually, the, yeah, all, just about the rest of my life in Canada. Uh, my poor mom, um, she left good old country to come to Canada for a better life for her family. And it pulled at her heartstrings. It, I think it was about three times we went back from the time I was uh, the first time. And uh, the last time I came back to Canada was 10, but we never went more than 364 days, I believe. Um, I think the magic number was if you're longer than that, then you have to reapply for immigrant immigration. And so they didn't want to do that. And her heart was pulling to be with her family, her father, her sisters, her brother. Uh, but her heart was pulling for a better life for her family, her kids and her husband. And so she did that back and forth. So it's and that, it's that was back and forth to England. Yes, sir. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And it was kind of in, the last time I, I recall going back was a, <clears throat> when I was nine and came back when I was 10 and, and no disrespect to my American friends, but went, went there with a Canadian accent and they were calling me, me a Yankee. Well, I was a very annoyed. I was going to say the PO word. Uh, kid, I didn't want to go back. I, I, I argued with my mom and I said, you know what, we're only going to go and then we're going to come back and I'm leaving all my friends and this is a waste of time. Yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. I wasn't a very happy kid. So I, uh, when they called me a yank, that just spurred the, because I was confused. I was living yeah. in Canada, but I was born in England and now they're calling me a Yankee and I just let go and I, I beat the Victor's son up and mom was not very happy about that. <laughs> so but, did uh, you, did you, so you, you went to school though, in like Canada for the most part. For the most part, yeah, except for yeah. two years. Okay, and and um, 
did you end up i think they call it university in canada did you did you go to university no no i'm and I, but i am studying um um for my masters of street smarts but i understand you don't get the uh, diploma the piece of paper until you exit life so it's an ongoing project i don't think you ever i, I don't think i'll ever get there in my physical right plan. yeah so so talk about like when you got through childhood became an adult what what was your occupation what did you what did you end up doing for earning money well i started earning money um pre being an adult because uh, a blue collar family uh, five kids to raise and um when we asked for money we got those all probably similar stories that everybody else got money doesn't grow on trees what do you think we are made of money if you want to make money you got to go if you want money you got to go make it so uh in grade four was my first uh shot at being an entrepreneur um because i was motivated i wanted money i can't remember why i wanted money i probably wanted to buy something but at, at, right. at this point might have been a chocolate bar i have no idea i can't remember but i do remember the entrepreneurial side of it and that was i said okay mom uh we have a lawnmower and they go, yeah, can I borrow it? And they went, yeah, what are you going to use it for? I'm going to go make some money and cut some grass. So that was my start of being an entrepreneur, not, entrepreneur knocking on doors and providing a service. But on the, and then there was a few other jobs in between there, working in the restaurant business, uh, being a courier, started a courier business with a mail strike when I was in uh, junior high school, uh, middle school. And um, then when I left high school, I got into the printing business, started off at the ground level ground level is a delivery guy. So that's where I started. But I, I learned to craft and got a trade and uh, eventually moved into being one of the owners in a small print shop. Understood that, uh, learned about that. And what I realized is what I didn't want to be was a, a printer. I wanted to be in the sales <laughs> things and I wanted to help people and I really wanted to sell new homes. So I went, f that's a short, quick, compressed uh, expression of how I got really into sales full time. Um, earlier on in my life. So that would have been my mid-20s. I started selling houses. Um, but not as a realtor. No. As a realtor? No, not as a realtor. That's, uh, we weren't allowed to have a license. We worked with the uh, home home builder. And I got you. so it's a little bit different. So so like um, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever see that movie? I did, yeah. Yeah. I don't think you can be in sales and not have seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah, no. Yeah, but isn't that what they did? They sold like plots and new houses or something. I, I forget. Well, wasn't it? Um, was um, I don't think it was new houses. It was modular homes or something. My, maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah. New stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. No, mine was a lot nicer than that. We actually had a show home and. Uh, properties yeah. to show, and uh, yeah, it was a lot, a lot, a lot nicer than that. So, how how did you do in sales when you got into that? Well, that's a darn good question because when you set a goal, you the goal was to get a job in the housing industry with a particular uh, builder. They were the largest in Canada, number four in uh, North America. And um, hey, look who we got on here, Jeffrey Kittimer. Coffee wow. is for clothes. Coffee right is for clothes. Yeah. So uh, going back to that question, um, recognizing that I wanted to leave the printing trade, 
and be getting in, getting into sales uh, and setting a goal. So you need, you need to set your GPS. You need to have somewhere to go to. So that's what I did. I identified the company I wanted to go work with. I, I knew I wanted to work with them. They were the, the only one I wanted to work with. Didn't mean I got there right away, boys and girls. Uh, there's a process that you go through. But setting the goals turns on the ideas and the juices to get you to invent the way to get there. And so um, I did that. So I got introduced to um, a fellow by the name of Leland Val Vandewal, and he, I took his sales training program, which was totally different than anything I've ever done since. He did not talk about the trial close or alternate choice close or any of that stuff. He was all about mindset and strategies and, 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 and envisioning the end result. So he was also, um, a consultant to the company that I was wanting to go work with. So as a result of learning from him and going to Toastmasters and listening to cassettes on how to sell the alternate choice and triplicate of choice and all those wonderful things, um, that's how I learned how to sell initially. But there was one book, and I'm trying to remember the author's name. I think it was Alan Aiken. Could might be wrong, but it was all about goals. So in there, there was a couple of ideas. Um, I know Jeffrey says you got to read books to get new ideas. So that's what I did uh, before I met Jeffrey. So um, I, I, I even knew Jeffrey. You well ahead of your time. <laughs> but in, the, in that book on, on, on uh, getting stuff done in terms of goals, there was a number of strategies on um, getting goals. And one of the strategies was have a goal group. So back when I was in my 20s, I was still playing hockey. And being a goaltender, it's pretty easy to get on a team because they're always short of goalie. So I got talking to different people in the industry uh, about New West, which is the name of the company. I was trying to keep it quiet, but it just slipped out. Anyway, met some of the trades people, and they said they have a hockey team, and they're looking for goalies. They said, well, I'm a goalie. When do they play? So they played every Tuesday night at, uh, I think it was 8 o'clock. So I joined them, and in that, I got to meet sales managers, construction managers, trades people. I went out into the community and learned how to build a house. Not that I actually physically did it, but I watched right. them ask questions, really got to know the industry. I did the homework. So then one uh, after several months, maybe maybe it might have been the whole hockey season, uh, there was another Phil there, Phil McElhaney. He said, hey, Phil, you ever thought about going into sales? I went, what? How did you know? <laughs> so um, he, he invited me to apply. He says, well, whenever you're ready, come and talk to me. We've got a, we'll, we'd love that see you be part of our team. So I, I procrastinated. I didn't jump on the opportunity right away. So there's one of the lessons. When you get a hint like that blatantly, sometimes not that obvious, uh, jump on it. Because then when I did get the courage to follow up, because I was facing a little bit of fear, because who am I to sell new homes? Because I've never done it before. All of that kind of monkey brain stuff. Um, I reached out to Phil. And he says, oh, man, I wish you had a call two days later. He said, we had a position. You would have been perfect. But but keep on trying. I still would like to get you on the team. Um, so I went and worked for another builder after that just to get uh, experience. But I still had my eye on the, on the prize of working with this particular company. So having a goal group, having a goal, and listening to that intuitive voice that gives you uh, things to do and act upon, uh, to learn something, go visit somebody. Um, yeah, that's kind of how I got into the, into the housing industry. I eventually did get on with them. And and you, this was all in your mid twenties. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Um, and and 
so how long did oh, you stay? How long did I you stay? I stayed with them until the interest rates went to 21% and people right. stopped buying houses because couldn't get mortgages. Um, I, and I didn't actually answer all of your question. You asked me, how did I get there? So the goal was the, the goal of getting there. And then you said, how did I do once I got there? And I laughed and I forgot to add, respond to the why I laughed. I got there and because once you get set a goal, you flatten out. I didn't know all of this before. This is things I've learned along the way. Understand then why I um, messed up because I got there, got the job. And then what? Well, I didn't sell anything for a couple of months. So I didn't do very well. I starved because it was straight commission. Then I realized you need to now move the move the horizon to another place. So once I yeah. figured that out, I was in the top 20 and often in the top 10. Jeff Jeffrey has a question here. What's the spelling of Val Vanderwalt? <laughs> okay, it's, it's Leland Val Van V A N D E separate words Wall W A L L just like yours. Mine has an S on the end. I know, but there's only one of him, so <laughs> yeah, right. almost like yours. And he's a he was a sales trainer. That's interesting. I've never heard. Yeah, of he was him. a sales trainer, but he was also he was teaching. You know, the the movie The Secret came out and made that kind of thinking the law of attraction uh, yep. popular. Uh, there's some missing parts in that movie. Uh, you need to take action and do things, but definitely starts with a thought: <laughs> think and grow rich. You got to think to grow rich. Yep. You got to act on your thoughts. Yeah. And yeah. um, Val was teaching. Val was friends with Earl Nightingale, uh, Victor Conant, um, and a few other people like that. And wow. he introduced the concept of the stick person. And the stick person is like, uh, the, if you imagine a basketball and a golf ball. So the basketball is our, um, is really our mind, not our brain, but our mind. And it's cut in half with a horizontal line. So the top part is our conscious mind. The lower part is the subconscious mind and the little golf ball that holds the, the mind up is our body. And all of our life, we're getting input via five senses into that down to our subconscious mind. And the results show because of that, because we're not our body, we're our, our mind. Our mind is everywhere in our body. And he taught that way back when, but he, he didn't invent it. He ran into this uh, chiropractor in Texas uh dr thurman fleet he introduced the stick person because he wanted to tell people uh or at least have them understand the power of their mind uh, what we think about we bring about at earl nightingale's strangest secret is kind of the same sort of thing right where yeah um, everything the secret is uh, we bring about what we think about i'm not quite sure that's 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 not exactly the way earl says it but it's along that way but all of us have that innate ability just some of us harness it and some of us don't. So I harnessed that kind of idea through Val's teaching to get on with this company that I wanted to get on with. And it served me well um, throughout my whole life. When I can get that place of a burning desire, I'm unstoppable. Now, I'm not always in that state of a burning desire. That's sometimes a challenge to keep the fire stoked and keep that desire going. That's one of the challenges that I face on a regular basis. But when did, I when did, get there, just, Did you? When well, I get, my, yeah, no, we got the delay off. Yeah, there's the delay. Um, did you? Did you like when you were doing this in the home sales stuff? Did you have a a um, like a 
burning desire to be number one salesperson? Like, were you competitive? Did you want to outsell everybody else? Was there was there that kind of a, a, a desire inside of you? I didn't necessarily, at that point in time, I didn't care if I was number one. I just wanted to be in the top 10 and I wanted to bring extremely good value to the people that I served. And I just wanted to uh, be the best I could be. I, I never really wanted to, I never set it as a goal to be number one at the time, but definitely in the top 10 on a regular basis. And I was there quite often, most of the time, actually. Okay, cool. So so how long did you do that? Uh, I think that with the, I think it was three years um, because of the, there was a recession and 21% mortgage rates was, it was kicking everybody in the economical butt. And then when there was, was something. When, was that in the eighties? Yes, sir. Uh -huh. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah, and we also had a political thing that was going on, and I, I'm, that's all I'll say about it. Uh, that also impeded the growth of uh, our country. Yeah, <laughs> but there's I didn't leave. Always, there, there's always a political thing going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Sometimes well, no, I mean we don't we don't really have that here in the U.S., but no. You know. <laughs> <laughs> No, absolutely not. Totally get it. Never, never. So, so, yeah, right. So you went and and um, you did that for three years, and and where where did you go from there? Well, because the economy was doing a, 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 a correction or a change, I thought, well, I still I still really enjoy the sales process. So, uh, what could I do? Uh, so I I went and sold cars. Nice. I never thought of starting a business, but I went and sold cars because I figured well, people still need to get places and yeah. how could I hone my skills better than um, at that time uh, I what came to me was to go sell cars so I, I learned a whole bunch of stuff about how to negotiate uh, some of the language they use in the dealership I don't know if they still use it here but um, could you imagine walking onto the lot and knowing that you're the next up so you're an up here's your up not your client yeah. but here's your up. Here, right. hey it's your turn you're up my up that's a human being. Uh, yeah. Right. What, what, yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's um, that's still that's still a little little prevalent. I think it's changing though. You know, yeah, I, my, my, one of my best friends in the world is is um, a guy named Frank Crenitti. He's he's between number one and number two in the world as far as. Um, car sales people he sells 140 a month now and and like just is killing it but he treats people like human beings he doesn't yeah. he doesn't treat them like an up you know he has real relationships so so how, how long did you sell cars i did i think i did that for a couple of years and uh until the economy changed and turned around and then i got into technology it's probably your next question and then in technology, I, uh, I, I worked for a small, well, they weren't a small, they weren't like an IBM, so they were small in that regards, but they were, they were specialty was selling mini computers with a CRT, not a printer. And uh, I worked with them for a couple of years. It was, that was a fun and interesting experience. You always learn something with, uh, at least I did, what worked and what, what didn't work. And then from there I left and went and worked for the local franchise of a company. Uh, I know um, Jeffrey's a big fan of the 
Dale Carnegie. So I got to work with those guys for another three years, selling and helping teach their, their courses, sales courses and the Dale course. That was uh, that was life changing. That actually was probably the best sales training that I've ever had, uh, bar none, even with what I do uh, and teach. Mine's pretty darn good, but um, that's that was one of the foundations for me. What was what was what was so um, what was it about the Dale Carnegie? What what you said? I mean, you said it was life changing. That's that's yeah. a big statement. What, what was so what was so life changing about Dale Carnegie? I mean, I obviously how to win friends and influence people. I've recommended that book. I've bought it probably a hundred times for for people, you know. So, what was what was so spectacular though? Okay, well, I'm going to go back to the lineage of how I got there. So, go back to Val Vanderwall's teaching. He said change happens in one of two ways. That's an impact or constant space repetition. So how Carnegie training helped me was the constant spaced repetition. So on a weekly basis, you'd be introduced to ideas, concepts, and principles that you could go out during the next week and deliver, test, and measure, and then come back, talk about it, and add something else to it. So unbeknownst to you, as you're going through this, uh, you, you change. And what I observed was um, a lot of people would say, man, you're really, really changing. And, it wasn't just me, other people as well. But when they looked at them themselves, they said, but really nothing much is happening for me. Well, that's because we live with ourselves 724 and the change happens almost like osmosis and we we don't notice it as much, but other people we do. So it, that's probably what I would say made it life changing was a constant space repetition and the way they teach the course. Um, they always accentuate mm. positive and being being a, a senior group leader and helping teach the courses also um, uh, ingrained that into my my unconscious so it became habitual i think that's what it did for me and i like it's great to read the book and we used to say that when i was selling people would say well yeah i've read the book i said this is great so have you read a book on swimming well no do you know how to swim yeah well how'd, how'd you learn how to swim well, I got in the water. Yeah, our courses right. are pretty much the same. If you don't get in the water, all you've got is a theory. You need to actually apply it. So we encourage you to participate in this program and get wet and and learn how to expand your comfort zone. So uh, was there, but was there something in particular in that course that that or or working with that company was there a particular thing that you were like yeah this set me on a totally new and different trajectory than anything else i had experienced yeah that's a great question and uh, somebody else was asked that who's author of a whole bunch of books and i'll leave them nameless but he said you know what there's never just one thing and that's true for me too there's never just one thing it was yeah. a, like if you if you want to make your favorite chocolate cake it's not just the chocolate it's all right. the other ingredients combined to make the chocolate cake. So yeah. that experience all combined made the chocolate cake for me. Got it. Does that makes sense. Yep. And so how long did you do that? Uh, what did I say? Three, about three years I did that. About three years. And, yeah, and go ahead. I was just saying, I seem to be about a two to three year guy. I, I have longevity <laughs> as I get older. <laughs> so what so, but you know i mean i think anybody in sales has um 
been through that, man. I mean, you know, anybody that's been in sales has, I, I mean, good God, I've sold everything under the moon and there's literally, isn't there a moon? Oh no, there's, I thought I saw a moon in that back. There it is. Oh, there it is. Yeah. I've sold everything under that thing. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> Yeah. But, but so, so you left, you left, um, the Dale Carnegie, what uh, training company, I guess. And yeah, they, and, were, they were franchises, right? Oh, okay. And, and where did you go from there? What, what did, what did you get into next? Actually, one of the, one of the companies that I, uh, turned into a, a Carnegie client, I went to work for them, a little company called Unisys. And then I started selling technology again. They, they approached me and they said, hey, Phil, how would you like a real job? And I went, a real job? I have a real job. And they said, oh, no, no, sorry, I didn't mean that. But we like what you're all about. Would you come and work for us? And uh, I said, well, tell me more about it. So I, I worked for them for about like three years. And it was, a, it was an interesting experience. It was wonderful. Um, I didn't and know what I didn't know. Unisys, right? Yeah. What what do they do? I've heard of. Uh, them. Yeah, they were when I worked with them. They were the second or third largest uh, technology company globally. Uh, they were selling the mainframe technology, so they were a marriage of Sperry and Burroughs, and became Unisys. And at, at our sales conference in uh, Miami, they had a comic there. Forget his name now, a comedian, and he, he his skit was all about he was Uni Guy. It was hilarious. So he took the Unisys side of things and turned himself into Uni Guy. He, he told jokes and juggled and all sorts of stuff and, and used his uh, the uni guy to, to entertain us with the Unisys. And Unisys was a com, com, combining the two companies with two different types of technology. Yeah. So Sperry was one, one of the original, I, 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 and the, the, the real geeky nerds will probably correct me, but, but I believe Sperry Univac was one of the founding technology companies when it came to the early uh, mainframes. Burroughs was in the uh, another one that came up later. So Burroughs actually bought Sperry, and it was an interesting dynamic to see, because I was a Unisys guy. I wasn't a yeah. Sperry guy, I wasn't a Burroughs guy. So I didn't have a uh, bias to one or the other. I was the new guy. And to see the different people through that transition, some never got out of their Sperryism or their Burroughism, and some were terminated because of that, and others just, it was interesting. So that served me well in what I do today. All of the things I've learned along the way have served me well along the way because I can bring on my own personal experience. Not that I'm an expert in anything like that, but it does give me some empathy with people I get to work with, whether it be small, medium, or large companies. Right. So what throughout all of this, these different um, career choices you were making, was there something inside of you that was like a burning passion that 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 was driving your i mean was there something that like man this is getting me up out of bed in the morning i can't go i can't wait to go sell some technology <laughs> i mean or what was the burning passion because <laughs> technology is not fun to sell i've been there yeah it's rather boring yeah, it was. The The fun part was the hanging out with the people, not talking about megs and gigabytes and all that. Kind of, that was boring as hell to me. Matter of fact, yeah. I, I probably nodded off at some of the presentations, even with prospects. Yeah. 
That's right. how excited I'm about the technology. So I get what you're talking about. So the burning desire goes way back when, when I ran into Val Vanderwall and started on my journey. I really am passionate about this thing here, you know, the, the yep. between the ears. I, the I'm not a psychologist. I don't, yeah, I don't have a, but my life's actually more brighter than gray. I don't know what yeah. color it is, but it's brighter than gray. But I got, I got an interest in, in that. So I, I'm not a psychologist or a psychologist or a psychiatrist or even a therapist, but I've been fascinated with how our mind works in terms of the self-development side of things. So if there was anything that wakes me up in the morning, it's that. Um, Seeing the and um, seeing the and hearing the stories from people I get to work with over the years, whether they're salespeople, business owners, hockey players, and having them say what they say without asking them to say it, that's what puts a bounce in my step and really speaks to my heart. So I learned early on if you do what makes your heart sing, the rest will show up. That doesn't mean you sit on your backside and do nothing. Quite contrary you need to get off your backside and do stuff. But when you're doing stuff that you love to do, it's really not work. So um, that's kind of what I've been doing all my life. Whether selling technology cars or houses, the common theme was making a difference and learning about how to make a difference in my own life and others. Um, That's really, I guess, the best answer I have for that question. I'm I'm continually learning that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I, I love that answer. Love that answer. So, so you, what was, what, and, and by this time you're like a, a, after Unisys, you're what? I, I, I can't even, I, I don't know. I can't put the years together in mid mid thirties, maybe. Mm-hmm. God, that's going, yeah, I was trying to keep it to decades. I don't know everybody know I'm 65. Yeah. Look what you did. You drew that out of me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, probably in that range. Yeah. Probably a little bit older than that. Um, yeah, in that, somewhere in that range. So, but, then, but you know, when you go to something and, <clears throat> and uh, you, I, I got asked to move from one part of the, uh, province because I'm in Canada to another part to, to look after a large account. And uh, what I learned was that the, uh, I learned a lot of stuff. I learned what didn't work. I, actually, the general manager, the branch manager, he kept threatening to fire me. So I thought, well, this is fun to get up and go to work with every day. So I reached yeah. down to his boss in Calgary where I originated from. And I, I said to Mike, I said, so Mike, so when's it going to happen? He says, well, what's going to happen? He says, well, when are you going to fire me? I keep hearing that you guys are going to fire me, but it hasn't happened yet. Just want to know when I should pack up and list my house and get going. He says, what the hell are you talking about? So anyway, we had that conversation and uh, he says, we're not going to fire you. I says, great. So I'm not going to report to the branch manager anymore. I'll report to you directly. So I I did that. That helped for about a year, uh, but I still had to deal with the, uh, I mean, we were in the same space. So I got an, uh, I got an offer from another company. So I left that company because I couldn't fix stupid and uh went for the other don't, company what's that don't don't you just love managers who are bullies <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely so like, dude, I, I, yeah. and got rid of that it's the only thing i could figure out to do um yeah. i tried everything out um and i went for another one but i left for the wrong reasons when i jumped into the other one 
for the wrong reasons. And I ran into another, oh my gosh, there's a jump from the fine pan into the fire. So, and I only worked for that company for a year. That was another technology company that was t trying to take on uh, Canada and they could have done things right, but um, there wasn't a clear vision by the, the management people. And that's all I'll say about it. There's no sense throwing people under the bus. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but what I learned from that was I took a year off and then damn it, it turned out to two years. And now, now I, I spent all my money and my heart was broken. I had no place to live and no job. What would have you done, Ken? What would I, you have done? I, I would have um, probably started a business. <laughs> Damn it. You stole my thunder. That's what I did. Oh. <laughs> that, yeah. Well, I'm an entrepreneur. So what can I say? Yeah. yeah. Well, I was tired of the CYA um, mindset of corporations. And yeah. I did have people say, you know, Phil, you should get a job. And every time they said that, my Solaplex went. <laughs> so yeah. I knew that me to do. <clears throat> so I met another wonderful teacher, a fellow by the name of Lou Tice. And I had started taking his programs and uh, ended up um, facilitating them as well. His company is called the Pacific Institute. And they're out of Seattle, Washington. He was an amazing man. Uh, absolutely amazing man. Um, what, what was his name again? Lou Tice, uh, okay, Lou Tice. Tice with a T. Yeah, he's he's passed on April April two thousand and twelve is when he he passed on. But he was the type of guy that helped with the apartheid in uh, South Africa, which is against the U.S. government. But he did it anyway because it was the thing he needed to do. Uh, he helped the Catholics stop killing each other and the Protestants. Well, not each other, but the Protestants and Catholics. He did that. He stopped. He reduced recidivism in your country. He helped NCAA athletes improve themselves. Um, so all of that stuff is great. But guess what? I studied it too, and I still do, and I still apply it today. And as a result of that, I've been able to help uh, uh, athletes, uh, both at the university level and um, uh, young female hockey players, 15 to 18, get a better ed education, learn about being part of a team and how to deal with failure and success. And I did that for a whole bunch of years. It's um, it was it's like an exciting um, it's an exciting part of what I do. Uh, and I did that for uh, Tim Hortons coffee. So that was pretty much what we got paid. Our expenses were covered in terms of travel and hotels and those sort of things. But we didn't get paid a salary. We did it for the love of it. And it was some of the best. Um, I mean, when I got invited to and ladies and girls, please do not be offended. But when I got invited to come back to coach hockey. And they said it was girls. I went, oh, really? <laughs> but holy crap, I tell you, uh, when, I, when I said yes, and I said, well, I'll help you out. And it turned out that they're amazing athletes. They're amazing people. And the way they manage uh, losses is way different than the guys. The guys, if they screwed up, uh, missed a shot or didn't score the winning goal or something big, they'd fester on it for a week. The girls, we were we went to a small, we were a traveling team, so we went to a small town, town in southern Alberta, and we were second in our, in our division, and uh, we got beat by uh, the bottom of our division, and Tim and I, it was my partner in crime, Tim Fast, said to me, you know, I said to him, did we win four to one? Because <laughs> by the way the girls handled that afterwards, they do like to win, they're very competitive, but not to the point where they're anal about it. They were able to get over the loss and pick up their pieces and carry on for the next game the next day. Amazing. And their ability to work together as a team was better. I find, uh, yes, Lisa, women do rock. Absolutely they do. 
I don't disagree with that. I've learned so much <laughs> from so many women. Uh, Lisa lives in, in, in north of me. At least she she did. Uh, yeah, I love Lisa. She's amazing. She did you yeah, see she what is. she said here, Phil? Great to see. Yeah. It's been a while. Yeah, yeah, I did. So uh, coaching the the female hockey team was a, a, an eye opener. Um, they they can't quite shoot as hard as the guys, but some of them could shoot as hard as the guys. They pass better. They're a better team, uh, cohesive um, group. The ones that we had anyway, and uh, I got to do that for uh, three years. It was absolutely a Mastercard moment, priceless. Wow! And that was that was coaching women's hockey. Yep. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So they were. So they all had different reasons for being there, which is. Uh, it's applicable to when I work with salespeople, you know, why are you, you here? Why are you in sales? Why are you with this company? What do you want to do? What do you want to get? So we'd ask those kind of questions early on with the girls. And, yeah. and uh, most of them that was either like to better my uh, education to get a, you know, a scholarship to in, in NCAA kind of school. Um, some was to impress my dad. Uh, and the, the strangest one was we, we made a mistake when we picked the wrong number four, white number four, because we didn't get to interview them. We could only pick them based on um, how we rated them in terms of their skill on the ice, what we observed. And there was a couple of white number fours, and we picked one. And after we picked her, we said to ourselves, and we couldn't get rid of her. Once you had them, you took them, and they were yours for the season. And um, when she answered the question uh, for the uh, outfit and the uniform, so it was all about the clothes. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't about being part of a team. It wasn't about uh, education. It wasn't about becoming a better hockey player. So we we had observed that we picked the wrong one, but she was a good kid anyway. Wow. So so now you were you that wasn't your job, was it? Being no, a no, coach? I, no, I no, I like Tim Hortons coffees and you know an honor area and to cover gas and things is not enough to to exist on. Okay, no, um, yeah. I went from that place of brokenhearted. Remember that? And I yeah. started a, a business. I started yeah. a company. I called it E Squared, and it ended up morphing in. I was going to be a sales agent based on something that I'd seen in the housing industry. There was a company out there that was uh, not a real estate company, but they would sell real estate properties for any builder developer. So I took wow. that same model and I became the sales agent for small uh, software developers. So I had a client for it, get this, Ken, I told you I'd get longer in the tooth, 10 years and help them become the vendor of choice in their particular application. Wow. And through that process, I was introduced to another fellow because when you start uh, growing your business and networking, meeting people, uh, when you look back as Steve Jobs says, you can connect, uh, connect the dots. So connecting the dots for me is I now own uh, also uh, another um, business, which is a path tracker. And it's a directional drilling survey calculation tool that's used in uh, exploration purposes for mainly oil and gas, but it can also be used in, in mining. And I have clients around the globe. I don't have thousands of clients. It's a niche kind of product. Yeah. But that came out of connecting the dots. And my marketing strategy to grow my business, remember, I didn't have the wherewithal, the typical financial wherewithal that would bank would under, underwrite you and help you get there. I had uh, the desire to win and the vision to make it happen. And so I was mentored into organizing a networking group and we call it the winner circle networking uh, 
breakfast based on Lou Tice's uh, Winter Circle uh, radio uh, bits that he did on a regular basis. And I was working with a company that were project directors for his company. And we'd have anywhere from 50 to 120 people on a Friday morning once a month. And we'd have a mini trade show, speakers. We'd teach them how to do an infomercial, like a 30-second radio spot to engage people and plant a seed in their reticular activating system so that when they left, they would think about the people that they met and help expand and grow. So as a result, result of that, and having the preeminent uh, position uh, in the minds of the people that were there, it gave me a reason to call businesses, to offer them something of value, to help them get awareness about what their business is about, participate in our organization, and expand uh, what you do. So one of the things my taglines was, was networking for fun and profit. So through that, I, I acquired this, the software that I own now. I got the client that I had for 10 years. I learned how to dance. Uh, I became better at presenting because I facilitated and ran the meeting for the most part. And I, I met a whole bunch of great people along the way. So how, how I got into the software business with this one on owning the company is I volunteered for um, a dance uh, stampede they had up here. Uh, I was just learning how to dance because I was brokenhearted and I thought, well, the best way to meet another woman is to learn how to dance because most guys can't dance. So I thought, well, that's me. And I don't, <laughs> don't want to be like most guys. So I went and learned how to dance. But I, And it also allowed me to increase my real confidence instead of liquid confidence. And yeah. with liquid confidence, you're, you're at risk of getting an impaired and thrown in jail. And I didn't want to lose all of that. So I put right. together a, a class for people to come. So I sold the tickets, hired the instructor, and learned how to dance in the process. And as a result of that, um, you hear things because you get involved. You do things and you get other ideas to the next part of your journey that you weren't even thinking about. And as a result of that, I met Randy. And Randy had a product called PathTracker. And he said, when I first met him at the airport volunteering for his group, he said, hey, Phil, what do you do? And I said, well, what, Randy, what do you need? He said, oh, somebody thinks just like me. And his wife said, oh, I don't like you. He, she thought I would, had watches up one arm, um, <laughs> one and cigars in my backpack. Uh, yeah. And what I was doing was it was my interrupt for my winter circle. So I was looking for people to participate. And he said, well, I have a software product. I need to get at arm's length. And because um, I'm working for a company that kind of does the same thing, they know I have the software, but we should talk. So we talked and we concluded that I could probably help him find somebody to be a sales guy. So that went on for about eight weeks, me trying to find somebody. I felt like a, a schmuck uh, because I couldn't find anybody. But I had this idea and it wasn't my intent when I started. I picked up the phone and I said to Randy, I said, Randy, man, I feel terrible. It's been eight weeks and I don't even have a nibble. And I said, I could help you do this. And I feel like such a, like a schmuck. I couldn't keep my word to you. I said, but I had this crazy idea. He's okay. What is it? He says, well, what about me? And he went, hmm. Yeah, okay. So we met and I became his sales agent for a number of years. And he had about, uh, he had, he phoned me from uh, New Orleans and he, and he said, you know, Phil, he said, I, I survived the hurricane. Uh, he said, and I, I, I phoned the doctor and I said, why did you phone the doctor? He says, well, I'll make an appointment. He says, I had, had trouble keeping food down. He said, I told the doctor when I come back, he says, I want him to fix me, but not right away because I could stand to lose some, some weight. And if you ever met um, Randy, you'd love him to death. He's a, a beautiful man. And he looked yeah. like the great doughboy or the Michelin tire guy. He was that round shape and yeah. he really stood to lose some weight. Well, unfortunately, um, the last time I saw him was in the hospital, um, bed and uh, he had colon cancer and they did oh. the surgery to remove the chunk of his colon and uh, they got the cancer but he got a staph infection and it's the infection that took his life i never saw oh. him again so i wanted to keep his legacy going 
And so, and I knew his wife would be taken care of with insurance and things, but still, um, she, they, there was this product that I was selling. So I continued to sell it and take my percentage and give her her big chunk. And so that she had this cash coming in. But every time she heard Path Tracker, it made her mad because it took him away from her family because he was in the basement writing the program so that he could have a better life for them. And he oh, died, wow. died when he was 40. Wow. So, she, so uh, I ended up buying it out of the estate to keep the legacy going. And that was 20 some odd years ago. Wow. But then so, does she does she still get a does she still get a cut? No, I bought it right out. She she didn't oh. want anything to do with it anymore. So I gave oh. her a, a sum and paid for it. And so she doesn't have to even think about it anymore. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So what point what point did you become a coach? Well, pretty much uh when I started coaching hockey was the first part of being a coach. Uh, coaching uh, athletes and coaching uh, business owners and salespeople is really there's not a lot there's not a lot different except for the score sheet. Yeah. So uh, hockey is uh, you know the game sheet. Um, business is um, KPIs, KRAs. Sales is KRAs essentially. And so uh, it's kind of been a lifelong journey. Even with what I did with the Carnegie people, I was coaching them. So it's been when you go back to that question, what did I do that, you know, was there the one thing that if, if you were to put, pull a thread through it, that would be it would be the coaching consulting stuff that I do. So I, I currently do that now full time. I've been doing it as a business professionally for a dozen years now. So let me ask you, let me ask you this. So you you coach business owners, salespeople. <clears throat> sounds like you still coach some athletes um what do you think the the number one thing is that holds people back in in life from success from from financial from happiness from everything is there one thing that you can you could put your finger on uh you sure like the one thing but in this I case do. there is there is one thing, and it's their uh, their self image, how they see themselves. Uh, when you change that, you change everything. What do you That's mean it. by that? Well, the thoughts we think, going back to the strangest secret, we become what we think about most of the time. That's really yeah. what he's talking about, right? So if you can, we, we act in accordance not as the truth is, but how we perceive it to be. That's a luteism, and yeah. if we perceive yeah. ourselves as being um, something. At an unconscious level, um, it's hard. To, it's difficult to change. We need to. We need what coaching does is helps people identify where they are today, where they'd like to get to, and helps them move towards that. So, where I've had great success with my clients is helping them get out of their own way, and how they get out of their own way is by changing how they perceive who they is. So, Lou Tice taught me that there's three three minds, uh, conscious mind, uh, subconscious mind, and the creative subconscious mind. And the creative subconscious mind really influences everything about us, is who we see ourselves as. And as a result of that, we act and perform at the level we self-regulate at. A really good way to explain that to people is a thermostat. If you have a thermostat, and I'll speak in Fahrenheit because it's uh, more common than Celsius for most of us, um, you set the, the set points are 62 
uh, pardon me, 68 and 72. So there's a four degree difference between the two. So if right. you're in that space, in the HVAC space, that's called the dead zone. In the psychological space, it's called the comfort zone. So as long as we're resonating in that space, we're pretty comfortable. We will stay there. But as soon as the temperature gets too hot in the house, gets over 72, the air conditioning kicks in and brings us back into the comfort zone. And the same is true if it's too cold in the house, the furnace kicks on and puts us back into that comfort zone. Right. So we act just like that. We self-regulate as where we see ourselves to be, our self-image. So coaching helps increase people's self-efficacy so they can change their ability to get shit done, their causative power. And how you do that is change the set point in your thermostat to be something bigger and brighter than 72. So when I started my business, when I was in that place where I left the company and it would, what year turned out to be two years and I ran out of money and I got into debt, and I didn't have any goals and I wasn't focused. So I was becoming a wandering generalist as opposed to a meaningful specific as Ziegler would say. Yeah. And one of my favorite mantras is, is to think about if you know what you want and why you want it and focus on that stifling the how unless the how takes you towards getting to where you want to get to, you can achieve a lot more in your life than you ever thought possible. And that has served me well. I've been able to start a business in a non-traditional way. I've got computers for free for trade shows, uh, for use to help me sell the software that I had. I've found ways to get dance lessons for free, essentially, sweat equity. I need to sell. You have to do stuff. You can't just sit around. But you can turn on the creative juices to solve the problem. As long as you're f you focus on being a solutions-oriented, option-thinking kind of thing. So go back to the thermostat, and in the thermostat, if you're not, if you want to grow, change what you're looking for. It's like um, with a GPS. In order for the GPS to get us to where we want to get to, we have to tell it where we are and where we want to go, and it will help us find the way to get there. So what I specialize in, whether it's with salespeople, business owners, entrepreneurs, athletes. How the hell do you do that for yourself? Well, I don't know. Where do you want to be? What does it look like? So I've got a whole process that I, I put people through, and I've got a, tools and resources to help with a logical how stuff. So you do need to know how eventually. How is an important piece of the puzzle. But if we set the, if we decide what we want, uh, for example, uh, best way to explain this is if, if I set a goal and shared it with people who loved and cared about me, and told them what I was doing, a lot of them would pull you back because they love you. They don't want you to fail. They want you to be a success. They say, well, why don't you back up your vision and just do this? I guess a best story, a story to, to imprint that to people is if, imagine you run, run for student council, whether it be at university, college, or high school, and you want to be the president. And your mom and your dad say, what, you're not the most popular kid. Why don't you run for treasury? They can, you're good with numbers. But you don't want to be the treasurer. You want to be the president. But no, you shouldn't do that. You should do just treasure. You don't you know, just be the treasure. So you yeah. back up your, you do the treasure. So you hardly, you hardly uh, campaign. You barely put up any posters. Your energy, your enthusiasm, passion isn't there. But if you went after the presidency, you do everything in your power to try and get it. Yeah. The energy between the two of those is totally different, right? Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean just because you do that you're going to get the the position as the president. But just think of what you become because you tried. And more often than not, you'll get to something bigger and brighter than the treasure. You didn't want the treasure anyway. Right. I, that's just a quick example of the set point that we have. I think, you know, I think about, you know, the, the, where I grew up 
what it's a i mean it was a pretty depressed area of of the state that i grew up where i grew up and and you know there are there are kids that i went to high school with that are still there and they're still still not i don't want to say depressed but they're not you know they're definitely not doing what i'm doing they're not writing books they're not coaching they're not they're not trying to figure out how to get to the next level in life and and you know living their life to help others and all of those things and and oftentimes i i wonder because i've i've you know i've personally coached people that no matter what i say i can't get that no matter how i it's very difficult to get people to change their mind to to come out of that 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 depressive state of mind or or maybe they the most they've ever made in a week is five hundred dollars a week or a thousand dollars a week or whatever and and it's like you do realize that there are billionaires on this planet that started from zero right and like you know how do you get people to dream bigger yeah it's uh, it is that is a challenge they've got to have some interest in participating in the journey if they oh, don't yeah. want to, they'll find excuses and if they want to they'll find a way where we as coaches show up is we give them some strategies ideas encouragement uh, attitudinal shifting things and those that are ready for it are are, are coachable and, and they have massive growth or even just growth like yeah. but if they're not ready for it then, then they can't and everybody that i look back and that i've worked with that has had changes uh, um had some interest in improving and they didn't always they didn't always do it quickly but they still were willing to persevere and do the things they needed to be comfortable being uncomfortable and working on their journey i'm thinking now in my mind of a, a young woman who's a mother of three and uh, had some challenges and and she sent me a uh, an, an unexpected unsolicited recommendation on linkedin and uh, she was a CPA. She wanted to live in a tropical location because didn't want to winter anymore. She was tired of that. And she just thought it was kind of a dream. So after working with her, not that I did it, she did the work. Um, was, right. was able to help her change her thinking so that she could get beyond what she was hanging on to. So she was motivated to change. And my coaching uh, experience for her was to help her be congruent to what she said was important for her. Eight months later, she's living. Uh, she's living half the time in Mexico, with her kids, running her business. Things have yeah. changed since then. She sold her business. Didn't want to be a CPA anymore, but she's still living in uh, in the place she wants to live in. So she just sent me a couple of weeks ago an updated uh, notice that she was grateful for the experience that we had and how I helped her. How I helped her help herself uh, reach her crazy dreams, and they weren't crazy. It was it's 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 great to uh, great to see when people uh, are inspired enough and willing to do it. Um, there's a I don't know if it's a quote or a, a saying, but they say you can't make uh, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Some would say just add more salt. So you, we could do that, but sometimes it doesn't much matter how much salt you throw into the equation. If they're not interested, and motivated, wanting to change, they'll never change. Um, and I've had clients where <clears throat> they were cynical to a fault and i ended up not 
I ended up they ended up ending the relationship really quickly because being cynical is not helpful. Being skeptical, don't believe just because a coach says something will work, don't believe it. Go try it out. See, prove it doesn't work and be surprised that it does. And if it doesn't work, that's fine, but don't be cynical. Be skeptical, but don't be cynical. I totally agree. It almost, and I know, you know, it, it, I watched the movie, the secret and they talk, they don't talk enough about action. I think is, is more, you know, they do talk about action, but not, not a whole lot. Um, but you know, I, I think about, it amazes me how many people I'll say, have you ever seen the movie, the secret? And they're like, no, what's that? I'm like, have you ever, you've never even heard of it? Like, are you kidding me? And and I think about like, you know, things that that it it, it just it sometimes it breaks my heart to see people stay stuck. And I mean, some people that are are unbelievably capable and intelligent, and they stay stuck. And and I so I'm always trying to figure out, okay, how do you help those people? get out of the the weeds of their mind and their programming and and you know i still don't have a solution but (laughs) one of the things that i found that works for me and for some others is if you can get them to make changes without waking up their amygdala then the change will happen when the fight and flight mechanism the amygdala wakes up it, it resists so if we can stay under the radar of that that part so yeah. the best example is that there was a psychologist out of, uh, uh, I think he was out of Seattle, and he, he wrote a book about, uh, I can't remember the name of the title of his book, but the one thing I got out of the book was <clears throat> he was helping people, obese people that were in this hospital having surgery to reduce their weight, but they also have to change their mindset as yeah. well. As, I said, if I told them to go stand and or go, to go on a treadmill and walk on it for 20 minutes, their amygdala would wake up and they wouldn't do it. So what he did was he mm. would ask, so have you ever seen a treadmill? Yeah, I've seen one. Okay. Do you think you could stand beside one um, for five minutes? And then he moved them to, from standing on it. Do you think you could stand on it for five minutes? That's all you have to do. They do that. Next thing they know, over a bit of time, they're actually turned it on and started walking because it's a crazy thing. But um, when you... When you wow. if you sit well and don't wake up the amygdala, that monkey brain in our south that keeps us in our isness, that set point that I talked about earlier, the thermostat thing. Uh, if you can keep that out of uh, uh, sleeping, then change is a lot easier. I used to be a two pack a day smoker, and um, uh, I don't smoke anymore. I haven't for a long period of time, but I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even talk much about it. I had one idea on how to do it. And I thought, well, it's a hundred dollars. I go see a hypnotist in a group setting, and it felt sleazy, scummy. And I thought, what had I done? It's a waste of time. Anyway, uh, because I didn't wake up the amygdala, I think the hypnosis process worked really, really well. Because I, I, the only thing I remember, well, there's two things I remember: how sleazy it looked, all the our garbage cans they had inside the banquet room, and the and that, the reason they had that was because one of the calls to action was under hypnosis. We were asked to. Uh, if we had our cigarettes with us, crush them up, throw them in the bin. And if we didn't have them with us, go to your vehicle, crush them up, and go find a bin. I remember driving around like crazy. I crushed them up. Now I'm driving around <laughs> for a bin. Throw them in. And since that day, I've been a smoker. 
And I think not waking up the amygdala, not telling people I was going to do this, uh, made it happen for me. The hypnosis worked as well, but it's a combination of all that stuff. Wow. So, so if somebody called you and said, and, and I, I mean, again, I can't put my finger on this, what, what the cause is for my success, but you know, I, um, I, I remember when and this was years ago, my wife and I had our first office and, and we were, I don't know, a couple years in business and, and all of our employees were getting paid and we weren't. <laughs> and, and I had a, a, a tow truck show up one day to pick up my vehicle for the bank. <laughs> and, and, and it was one of, and it was at my office and it was one of the most humiliating moments of my life. And I, I remember like something ignited in me that day. I, I just remember thinking this will never happen again. Never, no way under no circumstance will this ever occur again. And, and, you know, I, I turned on a different part of my existence and, and I just wonder if that's something that most people have to go through. Like, do they have to go through that pain? I, one of my favorite quotes is pain is the predecessor of all wisdom. And, and, you know, my, my question is if somebody called you and said, Phil, I, I've tried everything. Uh, I'm, I, my car got repoed last week. My electricity's being shut off tomorrow. I can't feed my kids. I'm freaking out. I don't know what to do. What would you say to them to help them over that hump in that moment? Yeah, it's really easy. Uh, what, what's been one of the things that's been a, a powerful thing for me, uh, changing your set point. Now, I wouldn't tell them about set point. That's too early on in the conversation, but I would give them an activity I say, you know what? It sounds like you're going through hell, uh, fire and brimstone and all that kind of crazy crap. And um, I, I wouldn't under, um, I, I would get them to, to make up a, a list of successes from the time they were born to where they are today. When that's something I have all of my clients and prospective clients do. And there's a reason for that. Dr. Bandura says that we go through our successes way too lightly and way too quickly. And by going back and looking at all the things we've done, we've become the people we've helped, the things we've learned, um, the obstacles we've overcome. Um, it's amazing how, how that is a life changing process. So that would be the start of it. And then if we were going to be coaching, uh, the next start, the next thing was going to the, how do you get people to do things is what you asked. Well, if they don't do the list, I can't help them. They're not ready. But if they do the list, then there's the next part of it. And the next part of it, was, I would walk them through that. And then once they've done that, there's another part. And then I would teach them how they could leverage this. I've used this to uh, start a business, be on the same stage as Brian Tracy, author of 80 some odd books, uh, yeah. teacher of a whole bunch of great stuff. And um, just it, it's life changing. So I find ways to give people strategies and tactics to help them get to where they want to get to. And one of the first things to help them with is help them figure out where they want to get to. And often when I ask people, where do you see yourself? If you had an ideal life and you had all the resources you could possibly need and everything's there and you're going to be like a Stephen King and write this beautiful novel, 
what would that look like? What would you be doing? Who would you be hanging out with? And people go, I don't know. So I said, well, then we yeah. have some work to do, right? Because once they've done that, and then take the, the, the list, I'm, I facilitate them through, put those two together, then I can help them live the life that they want to live. I can help them get crazy, ridiculously high results. Uh, if you're interested in finding what kind of results that people talk about, go to my LinkedIn and see what they're saying. Because then it's not me saying it. It's written right. there. It's just crazy. Um, and it's not always bottom line driven. It's not always revenue driven. But because I'm in the business coaching space, often it is. Uh, the, the, yeah. the CPA in, in Mexico, there's no mention about money, but lifestyle and living the life. Changing her set point is really what she talks about. And... Um, yeah, those are the things that I would do. And if they if they don't respond to that, um, I'm not an alcoholic, and I'm not a um, um, a woman that, or a man that's suffering from abuse. But those people, and I don't want to speak out of um, context, but it's my understanding that people stay there until they can see themselves out of there. And it's our creative subconscious job to maintain our our sanity, and and yeah. our sanity yeah. is being who we is as we see ourselves and if that's an alcoholic then we're an alcoholic till we see ourselves outside of that yeah chadwick has a question for you do you ever get frustrated with your clients and how do you handle it when they are difficult yeah i'm human absolutely sometimes do get frustrated and, and it, it's each one's uh, each one's different i can't say that there's one strategy for everybody i think you need to right. be flexible and adaptable and maybe try to find out what's what's going on that's what's causing the frustration so if they're cynical chad if, if they're cynical then and i can't change their their mindset then I, I i need to sever the relationship i can't help them if they're skeptical then i would encourage them to go off and try things i get them to think about the things they told me they wanted to get done and we check in to see how close they are to obtaining that objective, that target, that goal. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, I get frustrated. I, I had once, I got so frustrated with this one guy that I'm working with, and I got him so frustrated, he F-bombed me like six times during the call. And I said, <laughs> and I told him, I said, that's freaking fantastic. Are you yeah. that passionate when you're talking to your prospects? Well, no. And he says, do you think it would have an, in, uh, an impact on them in a favorable way? Favorable way? Well, yeah, maybe. I said, well, I would encourage you to be that. Just don't use the F-bombs. Take that energy and that passion and share it with the people you serve. Because he, he was getting mad at me. I was asking him some tough questions. That's awesome. That's awesome. Phil, where's, where's the best place for everybody to follow you on social media? Well, you could go to uh, Facebook. Uh, it's just Phil Jokes is my personal site. And on LinkedIn, it's again, it's Phil Jokes. And uh, my website is, one of my websites is coachphil.ca. You can, I'm, I'm the weather guy, look, I'm getting used to the green scheme, not putting the wrong hand up. And um, <laughs> email addresses on the backdrop as well. But it's, it's basically phil at coachphil.ca. If, if I've said something that you want to challenge me on, or if you want more information, or if you have a question, shoot me a, shoot me a message or go on to Facebook and, uh, Send me a message here. Happy to have a conversation. Awesome, man. Well, hey, thank you for coming on today and sharing your wisdom and your story. And everybody needs to go <clears throat> right now. Follow 
Coach Phil. Go go follow him on on send him a friend request on LinkedIn. Look him up on Facebook. Follow him. Check out his website, CoachPhil.ca. I don't even have to put it up on the screen. It's already there. I love that. And and hey, if you want to challenge him, <laughs> he said it. Send him a, uh, an email, Phil at CoachPhil.ca. And Phil, thank you so much. I appreciate you spending the time with us this morning and and um, sharing some of your wisdom. I really appreciate the invite, Ken. Uh, you're a great host. Thank you. I appreciate that. You guys have an amazing day. And and Phil, if you would, hang out with me for a minute while I end yep. the live stream, and we'll, we'll jump back on here and chat for a minute. So we'll see you guys tomorrow. Thank you so much for everything, Phil.